The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to episode 34 of Into the Metaverse, where we help make sense of the Metaverse through deep interviews with the brilliant minds who build, create for, and invest in the Metaverse. I'm Jan, and joining me today is Esther Wojcicki. Esther is a journalist, educator, and vice chair of the Creative Commons Advisory Council. She is the founder of the Palo Alto High School Media Arts Program in Palo Alto and the co-founder of Tract Learning, which publishes the web app Tract. It's a peer-to-peer, project-based, gamified learning platform for kids eight years and over. Esther's book, How to Raise Successful Children, became a bestseller which I'm sure many of you have heard about. Esther, I'm so thrilled to welcome you on Into the Metaverse today. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here in the Metaverse with you too. Fantastic. Our little Metaverse today is called Riverside. (laughs) I like Riverside. Thank you, Riverside. (laughs) Fantastic. So let's dig in. As we continue to build an evolving consensus around what the Metaverse is, the first question I always like to ask each guest I've showed wide variety of perspective. And so the first question is to you, what is the metaverse? So here is my personal answer. I think it is an immersive and it can be either single or shared 3D virtual space where humans experience life in a way that they could not do in the physical world. So the virtual world mimics aspects of the physical world in VR and AR. That's my understanding of what the metaverse is. And I think that a lot of people would like to see schools using the metaverse. And I am a little bit hesitant on that because I couldn't even get schools to use computers for years. So I'm a little concerned that they might not be ready to use the metaverse. It does make a lot of sense. And as someone who has built computers that kids can build and code themselves and have seen how challenging it was to even empower schools and teachers to interact in an effective way with tablets and seeing the role that iPhones and smartphones have played over the years with capturing young people's attention I do believe that there's a lot to be said about how are we really going to empower in this next era of the internet? How are we going to empower schools and teachers and classrooms to embrace in a effective way, these new technologies? And we're obviously going to double click and unpack what that means. And very curious about your perspective on that. But before we go there, I, want to think first at a high level in an ideal world, before we get to all the challenges and the risks, what do you think when we talk about this network of 3D virtual worlds that are going to be so immersive and expressive and hyper-social because of their scale, what in your mind do you think some of the opportunities that provides for how we can reimagine learning? Well, one of the exciting things about the metaverse is it's in 3D and your body feels like you're actually there 
So you learn faster. And that's pretty exciting. And you will perhaps won't have to force kids to do it. They'll want to do it. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, how could we get schools to do it? And I think one way to do it that would cost a lot of money, but it would work, is to give every teacher enough headsets for every kid in every school to use it. That would be like freebie, but it would work. And right now, I think the number one impediment is they don't have the money to do it. It's kind of pricey. So schools are always the last group to get funding. And they did get a lot of funding in this pandemic. And I don't know if you read the story, but the craziest thing is most schools didn't even apply for the funding. And so the federal government still has billions of dollars left that schools never asked for. I guess they don't even know how to do that. So I think we probably need to help them. So let's take a step back and look at kind of the evolution of technology in the classroom. And you've obviously worked on making such a phenomenal difference for kids in the Palo Alto region. What have been some of, and I want to look at it in parallel to what we're seeing now and look at, okay, how have schools and the education system have dealt with the evolution of technology into the classroom? And so when we look back at the last 10, 15, 20 years, what have been some of the successes that you recall seeing of how technology has elevated and reimagined learning? And where are the things where you felt it was an absolutely an absolute disaster of how technology wasn't a force for change and for good when it comes to learning? So if I go back to the beginning being like 1984, I can tell you that it was a real, it was very difficult to get schools interested in technology. And the primary reason was that they just couldn't imagine how they would do it. I remember when I applied for a grant to get Apple computers into my classroom, the school district would not help me and wouldn't support me. And they said to me, this is just a fad. It's going to pass. And I don't know why you're even wanting to do this. And there was no technical support. You know, computers were seen as odd ducks. It didn't work. It took a long time, meaning years, for me to be able to do this by myself. I brought computers into the classroom in 1987. And I actually had trained my students to do the maintenance on the computers myself. And that was the only way to do any kind of updates or whatever we needed to do. And then finally, when schools realized that computers were going to be here for a while, they actually forbade my students to service our computers. They said it was a violation of the contract with the teachers union and the students that there was a special group of people that were going to be doing maintenance and updates on computers. But that's how far back it goes. And I think schools are particularly slow in adopting new things. And that's one of the impediments that I see for the virtual world, for the metaverse, is because they just, I'm not kidding, I don't know what it takes for them to want to adopt something. It's just a really tough situation. 
And it's not just a question of money, right? It's a question of implementation, of training, right? And I think we're looking at a whole generation, well, maybe not a whole generation, but we're looking at a lot of schools where teachers don't really understand platforms and games like Minecraft or Roblox or Fortnite, where, to be honest, a lot of time is spent on these type of virtual worlds, right? And so... They, they don't have a clue, not a clue. Not only that, they don't even know the names of these programs. They, they don't understand what kids are doing on their computers. And they don't want to know. Their main focus is, honestly, following instructions from the district office, following instructions from the principal. What are the instructions? The instructions are, here is the Common Core State Standards. You follow that. And right now the instructions are, wow, kids are two years behind in math and reading. And if you don't focus on math and reading, you are not doing a service for the students or the district. So that's what they're focused on now. And I don't want to blame teachers, honestly. Teachers, teachers don't have choice. Teachers are told what to do all the time. And if they don't do it, they get into trouble. So it's really important for everyone to realize that the directions are coming from your school board and you elect that school board yourselves. So you, the parents and the teachers and everybody in the community, it's your responsibility to give some direction to your school board. They're supposed to be representing you and your ideas. What would be your advice to the emerging teacher, the next generation teacher who does have a sense of Minecraft, Roblox, virtual worlds, but who struggles with making that influence? What can they do today to impact the choices made by school district, by school principals, et cetera? They can sneak it in. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> For just a small percentage of time. You know, they'll be known as the teacher that, you know, that teacher out there, that the teacher rebels. out there, the rebels, they let the kids go use Roblox. Really, it's for 20% of the time. And then when you talk to the teacher, they'll say, who, me? I don't know. Or maybe I do a little bit. They'll be afraid to say yes, that they do it. That was me in 1980s and 1990s. I was the teacher that everybody's like, Wow, that wacky teacher out there, do you know what she lets the kids do? And, Let um, these things in. It's called a computer. Have you heard about that? <laughs> she let the kids play on the internet. Did you hear about that? Do you know how dangerous the internet is? That's right. I was like, oh, my God, the internet. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I did a lot of teacher training, and I helped Google set up the Google Teacher Academy and Google EDU, everything connected with education is part of what I was involved in at Google. And my goal was collaboration. As you see, all the tools on Google are collaborative. Docs, sheets, presentations, they're all collaborative. Kids can work on that together. I always said, oh, it's so great. They can work at midnight on those programs, whatever they want to do. Because, you know, kids are nocturnal, in case you haven't noticed. And they don't like to go to bed till late. They don't want to wake up until noon. You know, that's kind of the way they do. So I really it was a great addition to the product, the fact that they could actually work at times when they cared about doing it. 
There is one success story, I believe, that made a real impact in classrooms over the last five, seven years in the category of virtual worlds, which I think is interesting to talk about. And maybe you have a perspective on what do you think the reason it made its way quite effectively into classroom, and that is Minecraft and Minecraft education. Obviously, Microsoft acquired Minecraft, and that made it much more scalable offering to classrooms because Microsoft has a big business with education. But what is it about Minecraft or what is it about the platform and the way it's been integrated into so many schools around the world that you think made it first of its kind success story of an external consumer platform that is being integrated so well into the classroom? Well, just take a look at Minecraft. I don't know if you've played it yourself. but it has I have. Some- very important thing. It looks like Lego, Lego online. And so it's building and creating and also it's collaborative. So it does actually multiple things. It improves communication, it improves creativity, it improves collaboration and critical thinking. All of those, the four C's. And those are the most important four C's as far as I'm concerned, and that does it. And I think it was great that Minecraft was purchased or, yes, yeah, purchased by Microsoft. And Microsoft Microsoft has been trying to improve education for decades, and I think they hit the nail on the head with Minecraft. And I think it, it does a lot of good things in the classroom. So... Let's switch gears and talk about your experience, not only as a teacher and an educator, but also being a teacher and an educator that is a parent. And you wrote a fantastic book, you know, How to Raise Successful Children. A lot of our listeners, a lot of the audience that is listening to our podcast are parents themselves. What are some of, what what is a, a useful advice that when you think about a new generation of parents with kids today, where who are not getting access to the right technologies or in a way that schools integrate technologies in an effective way into the classroom, but those same kids still access Roblox and Minecraft and platforms like that in their own free time. How do you suggest that parents think about these new technologies, these new environments in 3D when they think about making those accessible to their kids, not just for play, but also for learning. What is something you recommend parents to think about? So first of all, I recommend that kids be able to control their own time online. And that's probably a hot topic. I think we should teach them how to control their online gaming and online time by showing them articles about how dangerous it is to be on a computer for five hours at a stretch, for example. Kids actually want to do what's right. And if you can explain to them what is right, they can then control and self-regulate. So that is one thing that I think is really important. Secondly is content. So what kind of content should they be accessing? I think Minecraft, Roblox, I think Google or YouTube has YouTube Kids. That Those are all really good options for them. I have the track.app, where I'm trying to have older kids work with younger kids. We're revising the platform a little bit at the moment to make it more interactive. 
But my goal is really to show parents, kids, teachers, the power of peer-to-peer interaction and how important that can be in learning. So that is, that's one of my goals there. And of course, kids learn a tremendous amount on YouTube. The adult YouTube can sometimes lead to content that you don't want your kids to be involved in. That's why I'm recommending YouTube kids. And I know YouTube has tried to eliminate those questionable videos that are online, but they get 1.5 billion downloads a day. So it's a little bit tough to look at everything right away. But everybody uses YouTube to find out from like how to replace a fuse in your refrigerator to what was the history in 1894. And I think kids need to learn how to use it intelligently and also learn how to understand that sometimes some of the things they're learning online might not be true, how to have a filter where you're always a little bit suspicious to make sure that you don't believe something that sounds it's too good to be true because the probability is that it is not true. Anyway, that was another thing I always taught my students is to have special mindset so that you don't get trapped into something that you don't want to be trapped into. Esther. By the way, I just want to add one more thing. We don't teach kids how to use the internet in school, and we should. It's interesting because I remember when I was at school, there was the thing called the Internet Explorer, which, by the way, great I name. Explore. We had classes where we would be asked to access the internet and they would show us how to do stuff, right? The basic stuff. And today, because it's just so prevalent, we don't really educate kids anymore on how to use the internet effectively. Of course, you can just go and search things on Google or, but now they also go to TikTok to search and they go to Roblox to play. And so of course the interaction and modality of the internet really evolved dramatically over the last 20 years, which actually leads me to an interesting perspective, right? Because and there's a whole generation of creators that are now being groomed to inject value into this new virtual economy. And let's look at Roblox, likely the largest learn to code platform in history. Everyone who builds on Roblox from a development standpoint, learn to code on the platform. And so kids learn to play on Roblox initially, then they learned to code on Roblox, then they learned to build games, and now they are learning to build businesses. So the whole kind of flywheel, like a lifetime of experiences. And so I wanted to ask you, what is the success of Roblox as a platform tells you about what a new generation of users on the internet are going to embrace or expect as they grow older and become the workforce of the future? Well, all I can say is thank goodness for Roblox because it's teaching kids those skills that they're going to need for the 21st century. And prior to that, I think it was harder to teach. Kids that are really good at gaming easily are able to join any kind of tech work. They can learn it more easily than kids that are not even exposed. And there are a lot of kids who are not even exposed to Roblox, they're not exposed to Minecraft, 
it's because the parents block it. And I just asked myself, what are those parents doing? Are they helping those kids prepare for the world that is coming? Uh, by 2030, we are going to have at least half the jobs that are not even talked about or even known today. So you mean you have to be able to be flexible. You have to be computer literate in some way. Did you ever try to compete in a game against a 10-year-old? You personally? I can guarantee you're going to lose. And most these most are the definitely. Kids. Yeah, but these are the kids that are then going to take these skills and use them in ways that are going to help society with jobs that are coming up. They have these skills online. I mean, two-year-olds today can dial a phone, a cell phone. It's unbelievable. They can't tie their shoes, but they can use a cell phone. It's all very intuitive. I do believe when I, so the first company I started, Esther, as, as you might know, it, it's called computing, right? We use the Raspberry Pi and we built a computer that kids can build and code themselves. And it, it was a whole creative platform where you code applications and you can code art and you can, instead of just playing Minecraft, you can code inside Minecraft. And so it was a whole experience of computing. That's great. And thank you. And what I, what was fascinating to me the most when we started the company almost a decade ago and over the years, it really became clear to me and we're seeing it now with Roblox that we are also treating kids like they're incapable. And it reminds me the first user testing we've done with Kano. You'll love this story. The first user testing we've done with Kano I remember going into a classroom of 20 kids, age nine, in central London, and we did a workshop of build your own computer. And it wasn't that complex. It was mostly the mechanical pieces of putting it together. And at the end of the one, one hour and a half workshop, we asked the kids, what do they feel about the experience? And one of the kids named Khalid, a nine-year-old, he raised his hand and he said, yes, how do you feel about what we've just done? And you know what he said? I will never forget that quote. And we used it for many years to explain the power of what we're doing. He said, adults treat us like we're incapable because we're young, but today we made a computer. So we're like super children. He is so right, so smart. I think that's one of the things I talk about all the time. Kids are smarter than you think, and we try to control them all the time. And the more that we try to control them, the less empowered they are, the worse they feel about themselves. And then we have an epidemic of depressed kids because we have a epidemic of helicopter parents who just do nothing besides try to control their kids. And the internet gives them the opportunity to track those kids wherever they are. And they can come home at night and the parents can say, I saw that you weren't at school from 2.45 till 3.15. Where were you? And on the internet, in the old days, kids used to <laughs> On the internet. I mean, what happened to privacy for kids? Well, There's I think, none. but I think this is exactly why I think it's so, it's so powerful. What I believe is happening now where there are millions of kids, right? There's about 60 million daily active users on Roblox, half of whom are below age 13, right? So 
It might be safe to say that most likely about 60 or 70 percent of a certain demographics in the United States is on Roblox, which is pretty insane to think about it, right? It's likely out of the level of understanding of parents what is happening on Roblox. And as you said, many parents block Roblox, but many parents don't block Roblox for all sorts of reasons. It's great to just let them be there. And it's a great way to not worry about what the kids are doing. But I think what's more, what's most powerful is that flywheel that has been developing and it's Roblox today and tomorrow, it may be something else, but I think it's that flywheel and kids are going into these virtual worlds. And what do they see? They see, oh, those virtual worlds, I can also build some of them on my own, or I can create avatar items for these worlds. And then us, the grownups, the older people, we look at it and say, oh, it's just video games. And I'm saying, no, it's not. It's life. Because when you're talking to an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old girl, and you ask her about Roblox and about the metaverse and about virtual worlds, for them, it's reality. One out of five users on Roblox change their avatar outfits every day. <laughs> so for not- them, for 12, 13 million of them, and 50% of people on Roblox change outfits of avatars every week. And so for them, this is part of real life. They socialize, they play, they build things together. It's a whole new world and an economy that for them, it's not, oh, it's fake, it's virtual. For them, that's part of life. And I think we really need to change gears as adults if we want to create a world of creativity where young people thrive and can imagine the worlds we want to build and can have the tools to that empower them to build a future. I think that's going to be key for a prosperous society. And quote I like from a learning scientist, you might know, Professor Alison Gopnik. I read one of her books and she said in in that book, again, another quote that I think is just phenomenal. She says, children are the R&D department of the human species. And so so we need to invest in (laughs) R&D. Yes. Yes. What a great quote. I'm going to write that one down right now. Yes, props to to Alison Gopnik for the quote, but I do resonate a lot with that because I think kids are so capable, they're so smart. Of course, they need to be protected, they need to remain safe. There's a lot of obviously bad people out there, but at the end of the day, when we give the right framework, inspiration and tools to young people, I believe young people should start businesses, they should learn to build, they should learn to create No one said they have to be locked in schools and just get grades and grades and grades and grades. How is that going to make the world better? I totally agree with everything you're saying. It is just so important. Let's see. Education system is still designed for the age of empires where we use schools as factories to develop accountants for the domination of Western societies around the world. That world has changed and it's moving online. I know it is moving online. So we should probably really take another look at it and see what we can do. But as I said, when we first started, I don't see it going into the school, into the education place because of the slow adoption that teachers and schools have of any change. There are still teachers out there today that don't use computers in their classrooms. So what's the solution? Build new schools? That didn't really work well. We've seen a a bunch of new companies over the last decade from old school to others who started schools, and that doesn't work either. So what's the solution, do you think? Well, we saw Khan Academy, Salman Khan, who started also an experiment of his own school. I don't know how that is going, but 
it's not easy to start a whole new school, right? And also it's expensive because it's private and then it's not available right. to majority of the population. So what's the alternative? School in the clouds, school in the metaverse? So all of those haven't worked. Saul's school is very limited. All of those new schools have not worked. And the main reason is because the large population as a whole isn't convinced. Then those are the parents. And as long as the parents are convinced that the best way for kids to learn is the old way, nothing's going to change because power lies with the parents and the parent groups. And that's one of the reasons why I think parents should band together and then have conversations with their school board, their superintendent, and see what ways can they implement that allow for kids to become technically sophisticated, computer literate, and learn the four C's, which are, as I said, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, and creativity. So if you just look at the traditional curriculum, where is collaboration? It's like an individual thing. Everybody's supposed to work by themselves. Where is critical thinking? Well, you might get critical thinking in math problems, but you need to have critical thinking in problems that are facing the world, not just in the math problems. Creativity, people don't want to be creative because they're afraid to take a risk and they'll get a bad grade and then they won't get into college. That's what's going on with creativity. It's Sir Ken Robinson, who passed away about two and a half years ago, said that schools kill creativity. They basically, kids in kindergarten, are 95% of them are creative. By 12th grade, only 5% are creative. That's because they're so used to following the rules. And not only that, they're rewarded for following the rules. They're not rewarded for thinking independently. So perhaps we should change some of the rules. Perhaps we should have parents talk to the school boards. It's a difficult problem that we're trying to solve. Changing culture is, I, I think it's almost impossible. It's really difficult. I mean, if you just look at the church, for example, the culture of the church, you're never going to change a church. For centuries, it's been the same. And so we're trying to change schools, which are also transmitters of culture. And so we just need to tell people we're not really going to change it. We're modifying parts of it to deal with the problems that we face as a planet in the 21st century. And maybe we can get them to all, you know, contact their school board, have a discussion with your superintendent. Do you know no one calls the superintendent unless they're mad? And then they leave a nasty message and that's it. How about having a meeting with the superintendent? That would probably be something they could do. I'm just trying to think of constructive things that people can do without getting mad and pushed out of shape and having to go to a private school. I should tell you though, private schools, if you look at the private schools, at least if I look at the private schools here in Silicon Valley, they're all doing what I talk about and what you're talking about. They all allow kids to learn to use computers in the classroom. And they all promote a variety of skills. I saw the most amazing lesson on North Korea. North Korea. How many kids are studying North Korea? In Ava Day School just last week. And asking kids all these incredible questions about what's life like in North Korea. 
and having them find the information, not just regurgitate some article that they read. It was very interesting. And I think another piece that I think is important that we are, there are many people, not just in education in general, but it also happens in the education system who are very, who are thinking about technology in a very deterministic way. And I think technology is really a tool. It's a vessel that needs to serve. How are we going to educate, inspire, empower a new generation to help create the future of humanity? And I think that when I think about the metaverse, when I think about virtual worlds, when I think about the internet at large or computers, and Steve Jobs is famous for saying, there's our bicycle for the mind, then all of these are tools, almost like clay that are in the service of the people to use in a way that inspires and educates. And it really baffles me to think about why is it so difficult to use technology in a way that is effective? And I think part of that is because the education system is so focused on grades because you need the grades to go to university. You need to go to university so you can get a job. People are getting, being judged with their sort of teacher job or principal jobs based on the grades that the kids are getting. So that whole vicious cycle seems to be in complete control of a process that is longer, no longer serving humanity. And I'm just wondering what is the way out of that vicious cycle? And I don't have the answer. I don't think anyone has the answer, but what is the, what do you think, at least from your small enclave in Silicon Valley, what are some of the things that worked that you give, that gives you encouragement that we can do things differently? We could take advantage of technology in, in, in unique, meaningful, effective ways to inspire this new generation to be ready for the future. So I think giving kids an opportunity to have, to explore, to do robotics, to, to basically partner with each other, to come up with ideas. And I don't think I've ever heard of kids going to school and being given an opportunity to create. They're always given an opportunity to learn and memorize. Those are basically synonyms in most people's minds. Creation just doesn't happen. And I think that was one of the attractions of my program was that kids were learning to create. They had to learn the Adobe Creative Suite in order to do it. And I don't know it as well as they do. I only introduced it. And one of the most empowering things I think that happened with kids is that they learned that suite of tools much better than the teacher. There was nothing more exciting to a kid than to teach the teacher how to do something. Most teachers won't put themselves in that position. And you know what's crazy is that creation is not something that we, creation is something we own by default as people, as humans. We are born with that innate desire to make stuff, right? I remember 
building a clock from wood on my own in a workshop when I was in elementary school, how fulfilling and exciting that was. Today, right. uh, the wood became a keyboard and you need to, and you can learn to code and create things. And I think that there, there was actually a private equity investor who recently said a few days ago, I think I read, he said that the most scarce resources in the world is engineers. Because yes. this is the, these are the people who are going to make the world move. But creativity is not just with engineering. Creativity is really how do we use technology to make an impact, to make things that matter to people. And I think that's what a lot of what we're losing. And I think that's what I want to see happening of how technology is being utilized in order to encourage creativity, in order to inspire what the next generation of workforce looks like so we can continue and advance humanity and not just leave advancement in the hands of the very few. That's right. And I think, unfortunately, the lower socioeconomic schools use less creativity and less in the way of technology. It's more focused on memorization and following the rules. And um, I think that's unfair to those kids because then it puts them in a situation where they can't compete. If you look at Google has these Google certified courses, certificate courses, there's six of them and they're free. They're a hundred percent free, except actually, I think Coursera now charges if you take them on Coursera, I think they're $35 a month or something like that. But at the end of six months, you get a certificate and it qualifies you for a job, a job in the tech world. The people that are successful at that are kids who have background playing games and familiar with technology. And those jobs are the reason that Google's doing it is because those jobs are in demand and they can't find people to do it. Mm. And the mm -hmm. starting salaries are $66,000 a year. Not mm -hmm. bad. But I don't think you'd find kids applying for those or learning that who have not had any background in tech and have not played games. It's like learning to play outside in the back, climbing a jungle gym. You're not going to do something incredibly impressive calisthenics or anything if you haven't practiced, if you don't even know what it looks like. What can we do to help school districts? As I said earlier, those parents, they're more powerful than they realize they are. They need to go to the school board and talk to them or the superintendent and talk to mm -hmm. them. Here we are today and we're talking about this, but I can say in a month, nothing will have moved if people don't take this action. This is a democracy, guys, a democracy. Give you an opportunity to speak out. So I do want to finish on a high note because we want to inspire people in the podcast for action. I know we deviated and talked about a bunch of things. So let's gather all of our greatest energy. And Esther, I want to hear from you. If there is one thing you want the listeners to take away from the conversation today as they think about it, if they are parents, if they are designers, creators, entrepreneurs, or investors, or government officials, what is the message you want them to take away from the conversation today? Yes, there's one thing, and that is don't do for the kids anything that they can do for themselves. That's wonderful. And that means they can do a lot of things for themselves, and we will empower 
this generation so that they can take the serious issues into their own hands and help solve them. And let's inspire all of them to be super children, like Khalid told us. Yes, super children. I think they all are super children. We just have to recognize it. Amazing. Esther, thank you so much for being with me today. And I hope everyone has enjoyed and go like our podcast and share it because this has been a truly important episode. Thank you, Esther. Thank you so much. I really am very honored to have been interviewed.